Greetings, I am Erin Patton, metaphysical master in a millennial age, and it is my life's purpose to guide you and organizations along an enlightened path. So I invite you to sit comfortably and tune in as I welcome you to the Meta Business Millennial, where we get the real conversations you won't get in the boardroom so that we understand this is exactly the path we need to be on in order to grow, evolve, and thrive. Greetings, I am Erin Patton, also known as Master L, and I am joined here today with Suzanne, who I am personally very honored to have on this podcast, Meta Business Millennial, today because so much of my trauma from my childhood, my trauma from my adulthood has come through loss. And, and I should call it trauma and triumph. Trauma and triumph has come through loss. Loss of, um, I talk about this all the time, getting too quickly, loss of my sister when I was young, loss of my father when I was older, friends, and grief is a real thing, family. And Suzanne, y'all, is a grief educator, a grief coach. Because of her own experiences with grief, she has now bottled it up, embodied it, and is serving humanity with her gifts. So without further ado, I would like to introduce y'all to Miss Suzanne. (laughs) Thank you so much. Wow, that was beautiful. (laughs) I'm so happy to be here, Erin. Thank you so much for opening up this conversation. It's so important. I just want to acknowledge all your losses. I'm so sorry all of those things happened. You know, I wish everybody lived as long as we want them to. Um, And that no other losses came into our life. But we all know that's not the reality. And so, you know, it's a guarantee that we'll have to deal with it at some point on some level you know, losses big and small. And at this moment, anyway, we don't seem to be grieving any of them very well. We're just kind of pretending that we don't have to. And especially in this moment, you know, we're recording in April of 2023. And we've had three years of unprecedented upheaval and disruption and loss of life and loss of everything else we knew to be, you know, solid, if you will as much as we thought anything was solid, like it's all been upended and we're not talking about it and we're not processing those emotions. And, you know, I've been listening to a few of your your episodes and I just think like our energy body, like we're we're not taking care of our energy body. We're not doing it. And and we need to, like, we just, gosh, we need to, you know, I, I think that because we aren't is part of why we see ourselves lashing out at each other so much. Mm. And so much sense of othering and us versus them and needing to be protection and in fear, Mm. right? We're so in fear right now as a collective. And I just think we have to disrupt that fast or we're on a, we're on a really dangerous path. Mm. Yeah, we jumped right in. Okay. (laughs) We're just going to go. (laughs) We we skipped over introductions. I don't know anything, but. Y'all, this is this is what happens when two souls meet and we are in, on the same mission. And yeah. I, and folks I know that are watching, that are listening to us, are are feeling that calling to something greater, to something higher. And first and foremost, it requires the acknowledgement of all that you just explained in terms of the fear, and then the healing. So, yeah. with that in mind, let's. 
Let me go back to introducing myself. Hi, I'm Suzanne. <laughs> um, I am a grieving mom turned grief educator. So I come to this mission from my most recent loss, which was my son, Ben. He died in September of 2020 at the age of 22. And that was absolutely as horrifying, disorienting, life-shattering as you would expect it to be. And I knew that even though I had kind of done grief before, I think of grief almost as an action word. Like you have to do grief. You can't just mm. like hope it happens to you. Like this is an active thing you have to do. Mm. So I had done it before. You know, my dad died when I was in my 30s and my mom when I was in my 40s. So I had lost people close to me, but there's something about an out of order death. I think that's the theory anyway. It seems to be fairly common theory that, you know, this out of order aspect is just more disruptive. You know, we've spent our whole lives kind of expecting that we will live part of our life without our parents here with us. So as much as for many of us, it's far earlier than we would like, you know, you do kind of have that expectation, but there's no reality where we expect that we're going to suffer the death of a child. So I knew I had to like get conscious real fast, even more conscious than I was and stay there. And I had to just accept everything that was coming at me or it would blow me apart. Like I knew it's so easy for us to like switch that conscious switch and just go unconscious and go, I, I don't want to deal with this. I'm just going to like, I'm tapping out. I'm done. And I knew that I wouldn't be able to do that and survive. That wasn't an option. So I had to stay conscious to it all. And I had to try as best as I could to hold on to curiosity. Mm. So I was already on a path of, you know, really trying to live in a growth mindset as much as possible, as much of the time as possible, you know, brilliantly and imperfectly as we all are doing our best every day. And I knew I needed to hold on to that because the kind of common story of a parent who's lost a child is they get stuck there yes, and they never recover, right? I don't think grief is something you recover from, but that's the language we hear, right? Oh, they lost a child and they're just stuck there and they're never going to recover. Mm. And I didn't want that to be my story. And I didn't feel like that was a good choice for me. It wasn't a good modeling that I wanted to have for my adult daughter. It wasn't, it wasn't a life that honored my son. So it, it was just something that I knew wasn't for me. And I say that with absolutely no blame judgment, shame-making for anybody who finds themselves in that place. Mm -hmm. But for me, I knew I had to almost fight with everything I had to not end up there because I could see so clearly how this kind of loss could just shatter you to pieces that you could never put back together. So that kind of led me on a path of wanting to understand grief better, wanting to really be a student of my experience. Mm. And for me to just get the spinning thoughts out of my head, I started to write and I shared what I was experiencing on Facebook at first, just with friends and family, as you do, <laughs> we kind of all share our lives on Facebook. I was living like the anti-curated life. Like I was sharing the messy and the ugly and like how many tears I'd shed that day. Right. So it's like the opposite oh, yeah. of like, here's my pretty picture from lunchtime. Right. It was the opposite of all that. It was the messy oh, yeah. and the ugly, which I think really, if we all shared more of our real lives, we'd be much healthier, but that's a whole separate episode. Mm -hmm. Um, and what I got back from people was that me sharing what was happening for me and how grief really actually worked was really helping them. It was helping them to understand grief better. It was helping them to understand themselves better. And when they had grieved, 
perhaps now in hindsight, they're looking at it and going, oh, like I could have done that a different way. I didn't have to listen to all the stories society tells us, which are all complete bollocks, malarkey, silliness. But that's all we know. And when that's all we know, that's what we do, right? Yes. So that's kind of put me on a mission of opening up these conversations of saying, no, there is a better way. There's another way we can do it as the griever. Mm. There's another way we can do it as the person trying to support them. And what happens if we can all get over how scared we are, because really we're all in our own way because of fear. Period. If we can break that fear up, then there's this right opportunity for connection. Because mm. when you are in those dark, dark days and it's ugly, if you have people that can sit with you in that, those are your friends for life. Right? So if we can yeah, all yeah. show up and make that connection with each other, human to human, without our politics and our opinions and our theories and whatever else we're all chitter chattering about all the time. You know, if we spend as much time talking about our grief experience as we do what we just binged on Netflix, like imagine how different the world would be, <laughs> right? Imagine we could do that. Yeah, that's, how, that's how me and my friends are, okay? <laughs> Literally girlfriends came over my house and then like 30 minutes crying. Well, I'm cooking, people crying at the table. And we're just like, don't worry about it, girl. <laughs> I love that. That's the friends everybody needs, right? Come over, be your whole self. You know, yeah. we could chit chat about Emily in Paris another day. But yeah. if you got a need, then we got to get at it. We got to be there for each other. I love that. My heart chakra is just like pulsing, 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 because I am a child of a grieving mother. Mm. Because um, yeah. when I was six years old, my sister was 21 when she, um, uh, her life was taken. And I talk about it a lot. So, but yeah, so it was heart-wrenching um, because unlike you, she didn't have that awareness to go on that yep. journey. Yeah. And, you know, to her credit, at the same time, my dad um got into trouble at his doctor's office and was sent to prison for seven years. And so this happened within a couple months time. And so, you know, growing up in a household and then growing up where she never, because of her inability to process it, she never talked about her again. Yeah. So it was almost, she never. Oh. oh my God, that hurts my heart so much. Yes. And so I don't know her at all. Just, I mean, yeah. so I sit, have literally two memories of her. Yeah. And then pictures. And I'm um, getting chills and goosebumps. So growing up in that household and seeing my mom cry and seeing her battle with mental illness and depression. And then now I'm actually her caregiver. Now my mom now has dementia. So after, because after my dad passed in my thirties, a few years ago, she kind of fell back into this psychosis state yeah. and never recovered. Yeah. And so in many ways, I'm reliving my childhood as in my, as an adult. Mm -hmm. So that's, I, um, I was so happy to talk to you. I've, I've actually never met anyone like you. <laughs> and um, aunt does grief counseling a little bit, but this coaching is a bit, bit different. How you've, how you packaged mm -hmm. it. And um, because she lost her son too in his early twenties, and man, I mean, the grief process is 
just as you shared before, it's of the loss of, of normalcy of the expected. And yep. it can come in the, in the form of losing individuals in your life. Yet I, I'm experiencing grief again in a different, completely different form. Um, and so being able to understand the stages and I was just really hopeful that you like talk through the stages and, <laughs> and talk through the emotions because this is some real shit y'all like these are real ass emotions that I'm feeling right now <laughs> yeah it, yeah it can really paralyze us and that's literally mm-hmm. what I have witnessed with my mother that's what I've experienced personally you know I can always you know point at people in my life but what about myself I've experienced it personally and if it yeah. weren't for my deep deep knowing that there is something else out in this experience, then I would have been gone right along with all that I was, you know, feeling this. With all that to say, I mean, you did talk about the catalytic experience that woke you up from the grief, but if you, I'm sure you can walk us (laughs) through, (laughs) walk us through what that grief felt like for you, because um, even though a lot of people who are listening may not have had that kind of out of order experience, mm-hmm. there are so many other aspects of their lives that may feel out of order that they're grieving. And so yeah. you know, could you kindly speak to the stages and the emotional kind of like roller coaster that you went through and then kind of share the triumph? Like, how did you overcome it? Why did that? What was it for you? <laughs> <laughs> I re I really think for me it was that decision to just stay completely conscious mm-hmm. and to and to stay with the horror and how awful it is like those early days are absolutely horrifyingly brutal hmm. and I don't want to minimize that for anyone I think you know it's easy to look at other people and 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 see what you see on the outside and think well it's not that bad it is as awful as you think it is. And when you're going through it and you feel how awful it is, there's not a lot of space culturally for it to be that awful. Mm -hmm. So you end up kind of minimizing what you express because there's no space for you to be authentically as much of a mess as you are. So I was really fortunate in that I had a situation at work where I was able for the most part to grieve out loud. And that was a huge blessing because Mm -hmm. I really didn't have a choice. It was really interesting for me. One of the things I completely lost the ability to do was pretend. So any being like, I mean, I'm an A plus, like good daughter, good mother, good, all the goods, like all the things you're supposed to have done. I've done them all and really been great at that. I had no ability to pretend anything. Like I was just raw, ripped open. The best way I can describe it is to say, I literally could see myself standing with my arms full of big chunky puzzle pieces and big chunky puzzle pieces on the ground all around me. Mm. And those were pieces of my life and pieces of myself. Because one of the things that happens, I think, especially with the loss of a child, but it happens with other losses too, is we lose our identity as well. Mm. So I knew quite quickly that You know, the person who had gone to bed the night before I found out that Ben had died, that person didn't exist anymore. There was no path back to her. Mm. He was gone. Mm. So now what? 
right? So that's where the curiosity kicks in. Okay, so I can see there's literally a veil and I can still like some things on the other side of that veil, I still can't access them. Like I can't remember them. I can't, I don't know. People will say, you remember it's a time when I'm like, before or after? And they'll say, oh, never mind. It was before. I'm like, okay, I don't know. Was I there? I don't remember. So I had that understanding that that person didn't exist anymore. Parts of myself and my life were in my arms and there was no room to pick up anymore. And big parts of my life were around me on the ground. And I had to figure out which pieces to try and like pile on and carry with me, which pieces had to be left behind, right? Pretending, you know, small talk, oh, social niceties. There's a few I should probably find again pretty soon, but like all that (laughs) stuff where we show up the way we think people want us to, any ability to do that, it's way, it's two and a half years ago. It's not back yet. And that sense of needing to reconstruct myself because I didn't know who I was anymore. And not just because I was no longer, you know, Ben was no longer here with us because I will always be Ben's mom. I will always be the mom of two. Exactly. But just that that experience so upended my expectations for life Mm. that I needed to recreate who I was as well as recreating my life. Yes. The best analogy I make is uses water because I love water analogies. So in the beginning, those early days, it's a tsunami and you are underwater all the time. Like Mm. if you've ever been pulled out, you know, every once in a while, those of us that have been in the ocean, you get pulled out and you can write yourself pretty quickly, but you have those few like split seconds of abject terror, right? It's like that, except all the time. Yeah. So you're like being tossed and turned. You don't know which way is up. You can't really gasp breath. Like that was my earliest curiosity, right? When I'm laying girl up on the couch, sobbing, doing the ugly cry, how do I breathe? Like, how does this even work? So that was early curiosity. It was not anything grandiose about changing the world. It was about how do I get through this moment? How do I get through this day? Is it time to go back to bed? Right. So that's the tsunami days. And then I realized I was actually a cork. So every once in a while, I had the buoyancy to get to the surface and gasp a breath of air. And then I would be, you know, tossed about in the waves again. But I knew there would be another bob to the surface. So you get that better sense that you're actually going to survive it. Like this is actually survivable, even though it doesn't feel like it. But you're Mm going to get that gasp every once in a while. Right. Then for me, the next phase, I realized I kind of felt like I was in a rowboat. And I don't know if you're like me, I cannot row a rowboat to save my life. Like Uh hopeless, (laughs) right? Completely hopeless. It's first of all, you row backwards and so you're not looking where you're going and you're facing the wrong way in the boat. It's just silliness. I can't do it. (laughs) But I realized I didn't even have oars, but at least I had something on the surface of the water to sit on. So when the waves came, like the waves would still come really close together at the beginning, right? They're further apart now, but really close together and you have to like bail out the boat but you at least most of the time were above water yeah no sense of being able to control your direction right you're just kind of spinning around wherever the water takes you but you can breathe that's exciting Mm -hmm. in those days right when you realize oh i actually like i can breathe i can like center myself i can calm myself and then you kind of get your own boat and you start to be able to remember how you like captain your own vessel if you think of your life as like you're captaining your own ship I love like it. you get the ship and then you're like 
there's a steering wheel. That's excellent. Like, what am I, I going to do now? So that for me is kind of the phases. And for me, the way to, you know, kind of go from one to the other was just by letting it all be okay. Like not okay. Mm -hmm. And that it's like, oh, I'm okay. But just okay. In the sense of acceptance mm -hmm. that like, I have to be open to whatever comes because if I'm a wall, it will shatter the wall. Mm -hmm. So I have to be something more malleable, more spongy, more open, more something, or I will be permanently in pieces and with nothing to do about it. Mm. That's so good. Because what you just articulated is in your presence, your consciousness, you're extending yourself grace in that too. Oh gosh, yes. And yes. that's something that I recently touched on in one of my podcast episodes because it's we have a tendency to judge ourselves, mm -hmm. especially when we're feeling deep pain and deep emotions. It's something right. shameful. Like I'm yeah. ashamed that I'm I'm in pain or that I'm hurt. Yeah. However, you were just like, fuck it. I feel this. I'm angry. I can't breathe. I'm just gonna sit here and not breathe. Under the water, yeah. under the water. Because there was nothing I could do about it. Right. right. There was nothing I could do about it except experience it and hold possibility and probability, right? That this would shift, that something would open up, that I wasn't going to be that forever. And that's what happened, right? Because I think because I didn't resist it. Mm. No resistance is futile, right? You can't. I remember. Mm. I remember just hearing that over and over in my head. Like resistance is futile. Just let it be. Yeah. Just let it come. Let yeah. it. Like you can't. You know. We spend so much. You know exactly what you're talking about. That that weird paradigm that we have about feelings and emotions. That there's like good positive emotions and bad negative emotions. That languaging about emotions to me is really problematic. Very. Because all emotions are a message. They all yeah. are some kind of something that's yeah. there to teach us, enlighten us, connect us, you know, smack us in the face, whatever it is. But this idea that some of them are bad or negative, and when you're in grief, that's the preponderance of what you're feeling. Like most exactly. of the emotions that you're feeling are all those ones that as a kid, you are never supposed to have, right? You're not supposed to be angry. You're not supposed to be disturbed you're not supposed to be you know mad at everybody else you're not supposed to be disappointed all of those things that somehow we're like oh you know like rub some dirt on it get back in the game like all that kind of stuff is all you're feeling all the time so if you can't give yourself that permission and give yourself that grace unfortunately in our current you know in my you know anyway in my culture there's society's not giving you that permission you have to take it for yourself and then hope that you have some stalwart mates that can come along with you Very. because like society's not saying, oh, please come in our coffee shop and cry all over your latte. They're not saying that. Mm -hmm. They want you there looking all together, snapping an Insta photo, doing whatever it is. Like we're all pretending so much mm. and you can't in grief, not mm. and not and get to integration. Mm. And that's the goal, right? The goal is integration. So yes. that's the other place that the languaging around grief really does us a disservice. Because when we're talking about getting over it, getting through it, 
moving on, right? Which are kind of the trifecta of hideous things people say to us amongst many, many other hideous things. <sighs> Those all have a subtext of you leaving your person behind, right? If you're moving on, that's because the thing you were in, that you're in is behind you. You're getting through it to something else, right? We don't, nobody wants to do that. So we get kind of stuck in, well, how am I supposed to move on? But I don't, I'm not leaving Ben behind, right? I'm moving with. No, he's not here physically. I can't give him a hug. I would give just about anything to do that. I can't, but I can think about him. I can watch for signs from him. I can, you know, we, we have so many rituals we've come up with my daughter and I, because we want our lives to be as big and rich and abundant as they would have been had he still been here. Period. And the only way to do that is to get to integration where we talk about him and we'll say, oh, we're going to go do that thing. Oh, he would have loved that so much. Or we're doing this thing because we love doing it with him. Whatever it is, he's a part of our lives. And why wouldn't he be? Like, that's the experience you had, right? Where your mom wasn't able to talk about your sister. And now you've lost her in a way that didn't need to be. And that's all, I mean, again, that's all no blame and judgment. We are all here doing the best we know how in any given moment. And, you know, 15, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, whenever it was that that happened was a different time for us as a collective and a collective yeah. consciousness. 100%, 100%. And the pressure she would have been under to like put on a good face and like, raise you right and you know not fall to pieces and then to have your dad disappear from the picture so soon after and all of the shenanigans the society puts on you when something like that happens yes i mean that she is still standing as a testament to her right I all the time all i mean good time. groovy and good that's groovy. all external that's all external that's all mm-hmm. you know I, I don't know if i'm allowed to swear on this show but anyway it's all that bad stuff yeah, no, I I already did. You didn't even notice. Oh, I didn't even notice. I do say it's all that shit and shinola that society puts on you, right? Like yes. they give you shit, and you're supposed to make shinola out of it. It's like ridiculous. Like yes. the expectations we put on people in the most horrifying circumstances to like put on a good face. It's ridiculous because you're uncomfortable. I have to put on a good face. No, that's a you problem. That's not a me problem. Hmm. Hmm. I love this so much. I love this so much. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just sure I feel like, where do I go next? Because something that stood out to me for some reason was you, you're talking about like, you can't even go to a coffee shop and and be yourself. Like you're expected to always kind of put on a show. And this is what I talk about a lot in my existence, because obviously that was my programming. That's how I was raised. And not only was that it, but I was in beauty pageants. I was like oh, a dancer. Wow. I was doing like theater. Like I learned how to perform my ass off. And yeah, me too. Yes, yeah. Yep. People, theater these, person too. Yeah, 100%. All that. And so it wasn't until, you know, a little before my dad trans- made a transition a few years ago where I, I felt like you ripped open, like I was exposed. Mm-hmm. Like, and I still am kind of grappling with how to even be myself because I had never had to use my emotions before. <laughs> yeah. And so it was, it's, it was just in the past couple of years where I started my Tai Chi training and understanding what energy was and how to sense our energy and our energy comes mm-hmm. 
our emotions. And I was just like, oh, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> How does that work? We should we should explore some of that. But really, like my pain, like it's supposed to, talk, like you said, it speaks to me. What? Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> this is very recent. But we're so disconnected from that. Most of us, right? We're disconnected from our body. We're all mm-hmm. operating up here. I'm an A plus head student, right? I can think my way, logic my way. I'm a Virgo. I was born that way, and I have owned that skill, right? A plus, like this idea of like, I need to actually, wait a minute, I have a body and it has something to tell me and there's like energy there. Yeah. And I'm so glad I had started to do a bunch of that work before Ben died, because really, if I didn't have a foundation in that knowing and that understanding, I think it would have been a whole lot harder. Yeah. Because I had to honor all of that in order to get to, you know, I mean, it, I'm two and a half years out. I have a lot of work left to do, Yeah, but I'm doing okay. Like I'm doing okay. And I'm pretty, I was gonna say I'm happy with how it's going, which sounds so weird when we use language like that, when we're talking about grief, but really I'm okay with how it's going. Would I exchange all of it in a heartbeat to have been back? Of course. And I don't have that power. So I had to make choices and have to continue to make choices about what I do. Right. And I get to the place where I just think, you know, this horrible, awful thing happened and I will not let it be for nothing. Hmm. I will not. It has to be for something. Hmm. And I know that's not everybody's path. And I am not a believer that like things happen for a reason. I didn't need this awakening. You know, I was on the path myself. I did not need this. And when things happen, we have to make choices. And my choice was to just learn as much as I could, be a sponge of my own experience. That's why my business ended up with the name that it was, because I thought, no, this needs to be about, like, what is the lived experience? I don't care about how many books you have read. I don't care about how many whatever else you have done. I I can respect all of that. But if you have not walked this path. You can't tell me nothing. You can't tell me nothing. (laughs) I love that. I'm like, you cannot tell me nothing. And it's so true because I always say this, but one of my, um, I call her like my godmother, but she's one of my greatest teachers, Abraham Hicks, Esther Hicks. Mm-hmm. He always says that words don't teach, that no. we can always, we can listen to her all day. We can listen to all these gurus, blah, blah, blah. We can do all these things. But if we don't have the experience, then we are, then it's, then it hasn't been embodied essentially. Yeah. We have to yeah. have the embodiment of the experience. And that can be achieved in many ways. It can be achieved through meditation, through light healing. There are other ways yep. that are, you know, metaphysical that can still mimic the lived experience, but there is nothing like, the, like you said, the lived experience that teaches us how not yep. to touch the hot stove, how not right? to burn ourselves. You yeah. don't know, you don't know what you don't know. Yep. And all we can do is just be open to whatever opportunities for growth are presented to us. Mm-hmm. And I would not have asked, I didn't ask for this growth. You know, I, I was on a growth path. I was doing just fine with my growth, right? And, you know, I don't think this needed to happen to me. Mm. And it did. 
And the Mm. reality is I am now a grieving mom. And so what do I do with that? Mm -hmm. And what do I do to help other people who are stuck, who are afraid, who are isolated, who are alone? And that goes for both sides. Like that's the grievers and the people trying to support them. Yes. Because we're all tangled up in these stories that, you know, we have been taught that society tells us about how grief works. Most of them complete nonsense. Yeah. And what we're not talking about is how it's worked for each of us. Because if we did, then when it happened to us, we wouldn't be surprised. Like so many things happened to me this time that I had no idea were coming. Like no one had ever told me about brain fog. Why are we not all talking about the brain fog, people? The brain mm-hmm. fog is real. Mm. And evidently up to five years, which like to me is distressing and encouraging because I'm at two and a half. So I'm halfway there. But That's it's so brutal. True. It's so but true. people don't talk about it. We don't talk about the physical pain. We don't talk about the sleep issues. We don't talk about the anxiety that you never had before that now you do because you have been smacked in the face with the unpredictability of the world and life. You know, we don't talk about tingling in your extremities. We don't talk about all of that stuff. Mm. But if we did, then when it happened to us, we wouldn't feel like there was something wrong with us. We wouldn't feel ashamed at not being able to manage. Mm. right which then is it's a self-perpetuating issue because since we don't know it's normal we don't tell anybody about it so we don't get a reflection that oh that's normal that happened to me when I lost this such and such then we're all we're all staying isolated we don't Mm. need to be more isolated we are way more isolated than we should be we need that connection and that connection comes from authentically vulnerably honestly sharing what is real for us Yes, I'm so glad you brought that back because you mentioned before about having the mates in your life that you can go to. And I I must admit that I was one of those people who didn't have necessarily the supportive tribe that I needed when I was going through my grief at either stage, young or old. And I heavily, um, luckily, God always puts the people in your life when when they need to be. And that's when I was introduced to one of my first healers and teachers, um, Elizabeth McCartney, who was on the show earlier in the um, season. And talking with her openly about things and getting healing and the non-judgment and she having lived some similar lived experiences. Talk to us about the importance of you as a coach for those who don't necessarily have the support system where family has oh, conveniently disappeared or they only show up when it's time yep. to get the paycheck, <laughs> you know, from yep. the insurance companies or the whatever investments that they have, they care about the money and the house and the bills, but they don't actually care about the people having to deal with the things that come with the debt. Because that's yep. in my lived experience. <laughs> yeah, and it's very normal. I'm here to tell you. That is normal, unfortunately, right? That's where we're at. But, you know, and what's so interesting to me is there's this kind of accepted um, expectation in grief that grief will change your address book. It's just accepted. That's what's going to happen. You will have a set of friends. You will have this catastrophic loss. When you look back at your life, a couple of years later, you will not have any of those same friends. Hmm. And I, you know, I will, you know, fight till till my last breath to say to people, it does not need to be that way. It does not need to be that way. We can learn the skills and mindsets to show up for each other and to be that person 
who shows up. Like I had people, and it's so interesting that people you think can show up for you often are the ones that scatter. You know, it's like when the light comes on and the cockroaches all run, that's what grief is like. The light is shining bright and everybody is gone through the corners. And the people who were able to show up for me were the people who were able to be that open, honest, authentic, vulnerable. I have no idea what to do. I have no idea what to say. We can figure this out together. You know, I'm here for you, whatever it takes, however long, whatever it is. And if you don't have people like that in your life, like I had about three that were able to show up for me and are still hanging in long-term. They're my, you know, forever friends. Maybe your ride or dies. <laughs> right, that's, they're my new ride or dies. And some of that, you know, and they were all at different space. You know, if you think of um, friendship as being kind of ripples in the water after you've dropped a pebble, right? You have your really close people and then the next and then the next and the next and the next. And some of them were from the close group. Some of them were out here. Like they came from wherever they came from, which was amazing and beautiful. If you don't have that, you need to find someone who will witness for you. Because one of the few kind of constances about grief, no matter who you are and what your grief experience is and what your loss is, is that grief needs to be witnessed. We need someone to help us to just say, it's okay. Yes. It's as horrifying as you think, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. We can get through, you know, we can... I, I like I even I like I still struggle with the language because some of that language is so hard. I was going to say we can get through this. It's horrible. We're not trying to get through it. We are not broken. We don't need you to fix us. We just need people who can sit with it, who can be in that messy, vulnerable, uncomfortable, you know, sobbing tears. Like right, like you were saying with you and your friends, you're just dropping the vegetables, going to cook the <laughs> dinner, and we're having our cry fest. Right? That's beautiful because. <laughs> You know, a shared burden is a lighter burden. And if you have people around you that can at least listen, you know, people can't walk your grief path for you, unfortunately. I wish I could. I wish that's what I offered as a coach. I will just take that backpack from you and I will do the work. You can't. You have to walk it yourself. Yeah. And it can be very, very helpful to have someone that can co-create that path with you. Yes. Right? So that's what I try and do. I, I... I have how I did it. That's not going to work for everybody. What I do is help people find the way they can do it because mm. they will have different stories that they have to let go of. They'll have different, you know, inner barriers that they need to break through and different identities that they need that need to be disrupted or that they need to figure out how to put back together. Right. If you go right back to those early days where I'm standing there with my arms full of myself and looking at the pieces of me on the ground that don't fit anymore. Like it, it's helpful to have someone that can say, okay, well, where are you stuck? Where are you feeling held back? Like what skills can we learn? What skills can we bring forward? You know, I was so grateful that I had a pretty robust toolbox of skills for, you know, breathing when sobbing. Thank goodness. There's a great book called Burnout. If anyone wants the breathing while sobbing trick, that's where I learned that, right? The writers of Burnout were on a Brene Brown podcast and I had heard them not that long before Ben died. Thank goodness. Cause I remember one day thinking, wait, what was that thing they said you're supposed to do? Okay. Let's give it a try. Oh, it worked. Oh, hallelujah. Right. Yes. <laughs> but you know, there's skills we don't have because we're in this weird place with grief where we don't talk about it. We don't share how we managed it. We don't share how we created a path. We don't share how we found people to talk to. 
We don't share how badly we felt that we backed away and went, oh, I don't know. I'm scared. I don't want to do the wrong thing. So I'm going to do nothing. And now I feel terrible. And now we're all shamed and isolated. And this is awful. We don't share all of that. And so then you're left isolated and alone and feeling like there's something wrong with you. When really, you know, what I would say to any griever at any phase, stage, timeline, whatever of grief, everything you are feeling, someone has felt as well. Period. You are not alone. What you are experiencing is normal. The society you are experiencing it in is abnormal. That part. Just drop the mic. Because but that's this, the reality. This was me. Like you are speaking to my experience. So two years after my father passed, I literally give birth to my son and I'm caring for my mom who at this point is hitting the dementia phase. And I literally am writing in my journal, I hate myself, like I want to die. Yeah. And people are really astounded when I say that because of the work that I do, but this is why I'm here today is because I hit such a low, low, like literally yep. my family's attacking me or they're absent. You know, my you know, dealing with issues with my child's father, you know, like it was the, and, it, and you mentioned the two years out, like you are still in a fog. You're a hundred percent right. Yep. I, I wasn't even really crying and I didn't start crying till like three and a half years out, to be honest. And because of my emotional, my very good ability to suppress emotions. Yes. And so this is real people like I myself have journal entries where I can show you I hate myself I I don't I I I, I deserve all of the, the bad things that I have like I really yeah. felt the worst about my life about my existence about all that I was doing and I was doing and still am doing so wonderfully at it mm-hmm. I, yeah. was, I was a functioning griever I was a functioning just person just living to just live you know yeah and so to be able to have someone like you like a coach that could look me in the eye and say okay I've been where you are and we're gonna get out of this and also you know and for me I had a channeler who was actually able to channel my father's energy and Mm. communicate to me his, you know, how proud he was of me, how I was taking care of my mom, how the resemblance of him and my son, like it was really an affirm. The first, I remember our first conversation, like it was yesterday. It was like six in the morning because I was trying to do it before Harlow woke up. My son, he was up anyway. <laughs> of course, and, yeah. <laughs> and um, and 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 my mom came downstairs too, and her with her sweet self trying to do her best, and and. It was, it was hell. <laughs> you talk about a goddess embodied, you know, you have to walk through the flames. It's like the, yep. the hero, the true hero's journey, the phoenix rising from the ashes because you have to die. That also, like yeah. you said, that, that, that me, that, that she did. <laughs> like, yeah. I, don't even, I don't even care that she eats for her to come back, you know? No. And so yeah. I love that you said that too, that whoever that was, not me, <laughs> you know, because yeah. what you also ex- exude, and you mentioned before how you were happy. I wanted to share with you how joyful you are, how full mm. of joy you are. And this is something too that's not expected in the same breath as grief. 
Yeah. I can still have joy and miss my son. Okay. I can still have joy and be sad. You know, like it's like all of it exists together, but we're, like you said, we're so used to the dichotomy that we don't realize the spectrum is it's all one. I like to call it more of like a sphere. (laughs) Yeah. It's not even linear. It's like, circular cylindrical you know the bowl like, of spaghetti yeah. <laughs> right? it's all like tangled all up. up sometimes and yeah. and so this is all I've, I've resonated with so much of it and I would love for you to just get a little bit more into the business because this is a meta business millennial so talk about you actually transitioning to making you going from talking to friends that been through it to actually receiving money for it, setting up a website and a social media, like this is actually investing in, you know, into a commercial part of the grief, the grief coaching. So talk to us a little bit about how that started. Yeah. So that all started really, this is going to sound super weird. I say thank you to Mark Zuckerberg because I was determined he was not going to own my content. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So I was not going to write anymore on Facebook because he owns your content if you write it there. So I was not going to write any more of it there. Not the really oh, great yeah. stuff. I, you know, I obviously still have a presence on social media because you need to, right? And there's so much greatness and wonderful things that happen in social media. But that really was, interestingly, the motivation for shifting to having a website and mm. having blog posts there that I could say to people, hey, the blog post is up, go look at it. But I wasn't going to put the content on Facebook which is how life works sometimes, right? The most ridiculous reason to have a website because I didn't want Facebook to own my content. Anyways. That's a great reason. Right? That's literally how it started. And I just knew, so right before Ben had died, I had just finished my um, women-centered transformational coaching training. So I was already on a path where I was going to launch a business and do coaching. Obviously that all fell apart because my whole life fell apart. So there was no way that in the acute early days I was launching a business that didn't make any sense at all. I could barely breathe, remember? So I wasn't, you know, teaching anybody anything. Um, But I had that training and I was so grateful that the organization that I've done my training with, I I remember sending them an email and saying like, because I was supposed to start the facilitation training, I think about two weeks after he died. I remember emailing their training department and saying like, someone needs to tell me because I need to defer. I cannot do anything. But I had started on that path of, you know, how do you live your life in service really? And I had been on that path. I, I was asked by someone um, a month or so ago, you know, to talk about my childhood. And I realized how much really, like, that's how I was raised, that we were here to be of service to people who had less than us. Yes. For no reason other than they did like that. Everybody in this world is doing the best they know how in every given moment. Some of us have more privilege than others. Some of us have more opportunities. All of that was really embedded in the way I was raised as a kid was like, what do we do to be in service to others? What are we doing to make the world a better place? Mm. So that's like a long, very long through line in my life. And I think that's part of why I ended up as a grief educator and grief coach and making that a business because, you know, I have that foundation of wanting to be of service. I have that foundation of training and now experience coaching people. I've done public speaking since I was a kid. So talking about it, like being able to talk, that was easy. So it just felt like, you know, I had this experience that I was hearing over and over and over again. People needed 
it needed to be talked about. Like people needed to hear people who could talk about their grief because there's so many people who can't. Yes. Right. So for Mm. me, the talking about it isn't that difficult. You know, I'm, I'm happy to talk about it in the most twisted way that grief works, right? Where I'm still devastated that Ben is not here and also feel such gratitude that I can make a difference with what I've learned and with, you know, the way that I've approached it. And really to be that person who can look you in the eye and say, you know what? I have been there. I have been where you are. And I'm here to tell you there is something more. And let's find it. Whatever it is for you. For me, you know, my cathedral project now is to normalize grief. Why are we not talking about it? Why are we so scared? Why does your address book change? That's the most ridiculous thing ever. You're in your darkest time and all your friends disappear. That's preposterous. And it doesn't have to be that way. But then we need to break down the fear. We need to talk about it. We need to learn the skills. We need to learn the mindsets. So for me, it's been about how do I give whatever little bit I can towards that long-term goal, right? It's a cathedral project because it's not going to be finished in my lifetime. But I'm going to kick this ball as far, if I can mix my metaphors, that's a really bad mixed metaphor. I'm going to kick this ball as far down the field as I can get it. Because... We are in a hot mess as a collective. Humans, we're in a mess. Uh, I mean, I'm 55. I've lived a while on this planet. I have not seen us in this much of a mess. We are lashing out in ways that are not healthy. We are othering people in ways that make no logical sense. But we're doing it because we're so fearful. We're so stuck in fear. And if you buy in as I do to the idea that there is only fear and love, we need more love. That's the only way. Only way. So how do we show up in this moment where so much of us are in grief? So many of us are grieving something, loved ones, ceremonies, right? Kids that didn't get to graduate, vacations we didn't get to have, concerts we didn't get to go to, careers we lost, jobs that transitioned, businesses that closed. There is so much loss right now, and we are not talking about it. So instead of being in love, we're in fear. And we need to do everything we can to disrupt that because the path of fear is not a path of fullness and connectivity and light. It's not going to get us where we want to go. She said, I hope that y'all received this because. This is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful affirmation of the work that we're doing. The work that we're doing is to embolden and and inspire and lift humanity and human consciousness so that we can experience more love, more joy, more peace. The work that we're doing is absolutely necessary by any means necessary to quote, you know, the great Malcolm X. And that's how I feel. And I hope that, and you inspire me. I I love to hear your story. And I hope that listeners and viewers can also feel this energy of hopefulness, of of gratitude for the, the worst shit you could ever experience in your life. This woman right here is sitting here grateful, thriving, brilliant, shining, because she made one choice. I choose love. 
Okay. I choose love. Yeah. It's that simple. Oh, this was so good. Thank you so much, Suzanne, for this, because we are already kind of at our time here. And I really want you to just share with our listeners and our viewers how they can potentially meet you, book a session with you, get in touch with you, any things you may have coming up down the pipeline that people can engage. That'd be really great. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for um, that opportunity. Uh, the best place to find me is on my website, which is a lived experience.com. And I will bet you a billion dollars. It'll be in the show notes. So check yes. the show notes. I bet it'll be there. Yes. Um, that's your best one-stop shop. So you can sign up for my newsletter, um, which comes out every second Friday. And I just share, you know, my best ideas and suggestions, what I'm learning. Um, I, so usually in the newsletter, it's connected to the blog posts. I do those every second Friday as well. And it just breaks down what I'm learning, how it works, how you apply that if you're grieving, how you apply that if you're supporting someone, how you apply that if you're a business person who's wanting to make your place of work more griever friendly. Because mm -hmm. circling back to that coffee shop, it is not griever friendly to say, how are you as a transactional question? Not helpful because I cannot answer that question. And if one more coffee poor barista told me to have a great day, I was going to have to hit something. So... <laughs> Right. Talking about all those ways that we do that at, in businesses and at workplaces. So that's kind of the breakdown of the of the newsletter. There's also a place there for any workshops that have coming that I have coming up. Um, I'm going to be away for a few weeks. So, um, the, you know, there's gaps in the schedule and it's changing all the time. But I put those always in my newsletter as well. So if you sign up for the newsletter, that's great. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, YouTube. You know, most of the places, not Twitter, because not Twitter. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you can follow me all those places. And I try to post everything everywhere so that wherever you're the happiest following someone, you get like, here's a new podcast or I have a new workshop or here's my thought for the day or whatever it is. Um, but, yeah, head to the website. All the old blog posts are there. So right from the very earliest days where I wrote about how horrifyingly awful it is to have to tell people um, to now where. You know, we've done a couple of trips in our ritual of revisiting and reclaiming, and I write about how we do that. Um, and, you know, I did a big rant about two weeks ago. I wrote all about brain fog and how no one's talking about it, and we should all be talking about it. Yes. So there's all kinds of stuff there that will help you out, hopefully, if you're grieving, if you want to understand it more, if you want to support someone better, if you want to be able to choose love instead of fear, all kinds of resources are there. Awesome. I'm so grateful for that. And for all of you, I, this is just such a treat. This podcast was amazing. Um, I'm just going to kind of sit with this, let it integrate and, and really honor my, my family that's passed on, my friends, my good friends, um, my good friend. And yeah, just sit with these emotions. I really, like you saw me holding my heart. <laughs> Sometimes you were talking because the, I'm feeling a lot of energy coursing through my body right now. And I am really grateful for it, for feeling myself. I feel, <laughs> thank you. And, it's okay. Feel it all. It's all, <laughs> it's all worth feeling. Yes. And I receive that. Thank you. Yeah. And for all of those that want more of the Meta Business <laughs> Millennial podcast, more of these 
enlightening, feel good, feel some kind of way conversations. <laughs> um, you can always follow us at the Metaphysics Millennial Podcast. We're on YouTube, Instagram. Also, you can find me at I am Erin Patton on Instagram, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, and YouTube as well. <laughs> of course, more resources on my website at themetabusiness.world. Thank you so much again, Suzanne, for your time, for your presence, for your energy. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. What a great conversation. Yes. And for all of you, much love and light to you. This concludes our and completes our podcast for today. Peace. Did you really love this episode of the Meta Business Millennial Podcast? Well, I am honored and I appreciate you subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing it with your friends because your feedback allows us to co-create more enlightened conversations. And if you're interested in growing your soul now, head over to my website, AaronPatton.com, to find all the show notes, links, and free resources to get your energy activated today. In the meantime, stay bright, my friends. Much love and light. Peace. Peace.